You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Joshua. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. Command to go is coupled with a promise, and we can obey God's command, not the fear, because we have His promise of victory. We have God's promises. Oh my, if we would just live on the promises of God. How many of you used to sing the old song, Standing on the Promises of Christ? I mean, come on, that's what we need to do. We stand on His promises. We, we stand on those promises because they're real, they're truthful, and we have them for us. We have God's promises. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear cripples and paralyzes us, keeping us from praying and seeking the Lord. In today's message from Pastor Dave, we're reminded to stand on God's promises. We can obey God's command not to fear because we have His promise of victory. The battle has already been won. Now here's Pastor Dave with today's edition of Cape Watch Radio. Joshua 10. So we began this study in the book of Joshua. We saw that Israel was ready to go into the promised land. It was a land flowing of milk and honey, a land with blessings from God, a land mighty, a land with beauty, a land that they've never experienced before. And we've been liking it to the abundant life. We've been liking it to the life that Christ said in John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and life more abundant. We say that that's our promised land. But a strange paradox Exist. And we see that in the book of Joshua. And we've been talking about this strange paradox that exists, if you will. It's a paradox that is eternally true. And while Canaan, the land that they were going into, was a land full of blessings, it was also a land of intense warfare. And although it was a land full of intense blessings, and we're going to see some of those blessings today, it was indeed a land of intense warfare warfare. And as we studied it, as I said, we tried to liken the entrance of Israel into the promised land to the life that Christ has given us, the abundant life. And I just read to you John 10.10. Let me read it more specifically. In the gospel of John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus himself says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they have, might have it more abundantly. In this one statement, Jesus says that we see two forces at work in the world today. And we can see them, especially what happened last week. We see Satan, the thief, who wants to rob us of our purity, who wants to rob the world of the moral standards that were set forth, the standards that the world has been following, nay, the United States has been following since 1776, the reason that the United States was formed, the new land, land of opportunity, religious freedom. Satan wants to rob you of your strength. He wants to keep his thumb upon you and keep you in bondage. He wants to rob you of all the blessings that the Lord has for you and the Lord wants to give to you. And one of the things that we love, and that's why we're teaching the book of Ephesians in chapter one, it speaks of these blessings so mightily. And in one four, it says every blessing in Christ Jesus. All spiritual blessings have been given to you. 
What a glorious promise. But Satan wants to steal that from you. He wants to grab that and take that from you. He wants to steal your freedom and place you back into slavery to him. Look how effective he's become. Look at how depraved the world around us has become. We're living in a world that's full of oppression. Just look what's happening over in the Middle East with ISIS, with Al-Qaeda, with all these other extreme groups that are running around wreaking havoc, putting people under oppression and keeping them down. We see the rich oppressing the poor. We see the strong oppressing the weak. Man wants to live without God. And man is driving God out of every aspect of his life. And he's doing it very effectively, I might add. Once man gets God out of the picture, no one can hold him accountable for what he does. If there's no God, there is no right and wrong. I can declare what is right and what is wrong if there is no absolute. That's what man wants to do. When man does that, when man successfully pushes God out of the picture, he becomes one without hope. He becomes one without hope, and that's where I see our beloved country today. Pushing God out of every aspect, out of all living. And we're becoming a nation without hope. Because we're a nation without God. When he does that, he has small regard for human life. Just look at the numbers of abortions that are carried out. Millions upon millions. See, Satan's way is death. Satan's way is death. But Christ clearly said, I am he who has come that they... His followers, his believers, those that would put his trust in him, those that would believe in his sacrifice on the cross, that they might have life. See, Jesus wants to take us out of the world into a spiritual realm. He wants to give us a spiritual realm. He wants us to live like God. But man seeks to relate to animals instead of God. God wants us to relate to him. In John 1 verse 12, he says, He gave us the power to become sons of God. Who? Whoever would believe in Jesus Christ. Whoever would believe in Jesus Christ has been given the power to be a son of God. Jesus has come to give us life on a spiritual plane. And that becomes the abundant life. Remember, when they first got in the land, before they attacked Jericho, God had to do a spiritual work within them. He made it easy for us because he's placed his spirit inside us. He's given us his spirit to dwell with us. He's given us a life of fulfillment, not on an animal plane, which is extremely unfulfilled. If you're on an animal plane, you're never satisfied. You're always striving for more. You never have water that quenches the thirst. Jesus gives us water that will always quench the thirst. Water that will make us never thirsty again. That's what he told the woman at the well. But if you're only in a temporary sense, if you're only trying to get that fulfillment on an animal level, you will soon be hungry again. Kind of like eating Chinese food. Hour later, you're hungry. There's no satisfying there. But walking in the Spirit becomes satisfying. It becomes fulfilling. And as you overflow, as the Spirit overflows in your life and touches the hearts of those around you, you see God's hand. You see God's hands in healing. You see God's hands in love. You see God's hands restoring relationships. You see God's hand doing miracles in your lives right before your eyes. His cup runneth over. His cup runneth over as the Spirit comes and touches. We've been studying. We've seen Satan's plan. 
But once again, Satan's plan was thwarted by God. Once again, Satan's plan was thwarted by God. See, God will always be victorious. In fact, we've already won. We've already won. And we just finished the book of Revelation before we started Joshua. We finished that glorious book. Read the last page. Ladies and gentlemen, we win. Hallelujah was right. We win. We win. The victory is ours. But that doesn't keep Satan from trying. It doesn't keep the rascal from trying. And he constantly changes his plan and changes his strategy. And last week we saw that we must never rest on our laurels of victory. We must never sit back and go, well, we did it. Mm. We must always give glory to God. We must always give honor to him as the victor. And we always must be alert for the next attack. Always must be alert for the next attack. Because his attacks of Satan are well planned. We studied last week that he changed his tactics towards the Israelites. We saw a frontal attack when the groups ganged all together. And then he used one of his most favorite tricks, one of his oldest tricks. He pulled that out of his toolbox. He said, you know what? If it worked once, I'm sure it'll work again. It's called the lie. Deception. He loves that one. It seems to always work. This trick worked because Joshua didn't do one thing. Joshua failed to seek counsel of the Lord. Joshua failed to seek the Lord's counsel for what was happening before his eyes. The Israelites made a covenant with the Gibeonites. And although Israel exposed them for what they were, Israel did not go back on their covenant, but instead they made them slaves and served in the tabernacle. And as we studied, we compared these events to the abundant life of the victorious Christian. We have seen that disobedience and prayerlessness always equals defeat. Always equals defeat. On the other hand, obedience, constant watchfulness, And an utter reliance on the Lord always ensures victory. Always ensures victory. We rest in Christ who has won the victory. Where did he win it? Right there. On the cross. Right there. Let us never, ever forget. As we turn to chapter 10, we see that although there is a new danger and there's more warfare... Joshua's now applying those things that he learned. Joshua's getting smart in his old age. You know, he's up there in the 80s, and he's starting to learn a few things. Don't have to knock his head twice or so. He can remember some things. But there's more warfare, and he starts to apply these things. There's more faith. There's more action. There's no compromising anymore. There's daring warfare, and what follows that is a Lord in total victory. Let's look at verses 1 through 5 as we look at our study. Now it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and how utterly destroyed it as he had done to Jericho and its kings, so he had done to Ai and its king, how the inhabitants of Gideon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, said Hoham, king of Hebron, Piriam, king of Jermoth, Japhia, king of Lashish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, that we may attack Gibeon, for it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. 
Therefore, the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Lashish, Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, and the king of Eglon, gathered together and went up. They and all their armies encamped before Gibeon and made war against it. Interesting here. Some interesting things I want to point out. Adonai Zedek is the king of Jerusalem. He now comes against Joshua and he gathers all these other armies. It's really interesting that the name Adonai Zedek actually means Lord of Righteousness. It actually means Lord of Righteousness. And although we see that he is the exact opposite because he's coming against the Lord. Now, I have said from this stage many times that as we study the book of Joshua, Joshua becomes a type of Christ. Joshua becomes a type of Christ. And anyone who comes against Christ or is opposite Christ would be known as a antichrist. An antichrist, just like in the book of Revelation, exactly. So we see that Joshua here is set up because Joshua is a representation of Jesus Christ. He now leads many nations against them and against Israel. It says they feared greatly. The enemies of Israel feared them greatly. Believe it or not, folks, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But they fear us also. The spiritual world fears us. Our enemies fear us because he is greater in us than he who is in the world. Our enemies are fearful of us. They don't retreat, however, when they're, when they're afraid, but they launch even bolder attacks towards us. And that's what you see what's happening here. They're like wild animals. You ever see them where they, you back a wild animal into a corner? They can get pretty ferocious when you back them in the corner. When they're afraid, when an animal is afraid, they can get really, really nasty. That's what's happened here. These guys have been backed into a corner. Look what they did to Ai. Look what they did to Jericho. We're not stupid here. They're coming this way we got to do something. Let's get together and, and go after these guys. Now, many believe that the Gideonites did not submit to Israel out of a position of weakness because it says they have mighty men. Many believe that it was their love and honor for God of Israel that they submitted to perpetual service in his tabernacle. We talked a little bit about that last week. But these groups say, let's attack the Gideonites. We're going to go against the Gideonites because they made a pact with Israel. So since now they've been part of Israel, let's go against them. So let's look what happens in 6 and 7. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell on the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and on the mighty men of Aur. Gibeonites call for help, and Joshua answers them. Remember, in Joshua 9, we studied last week, that the leaders of Israel made a vow. It was a bad vow to the Gibeonites. They were not supposed to compromise to the Gibeonites. They were not supposed to compromise with them. They were supposed to destroy all the armies, all the people. But they made a vow to them, and... They honored their vow because they made it before the Lord. If you look in, in 9.19, go back a page to 9.19, it says, Then all the rulers said to the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore, we may not touch them. They made a vow and they honored it before God because they swore before God to these men and people. So Joshua sees he's going with the leaders of Israel and they're going to take it a step further. Allowing these Canaanite kings to wipe out the Gibeonites would have been real easy. 
It would have been really, really easy for Joshua and the Israelites just to sit back and go, well, you know, we were supposed to kill them anyhow. We might as well let them take care of us. Oh, well. But they honored God because they swore by God not to do this. Don't you see what's happening here? They're giving honor to God. They're keeping their vow to God. What a glorious thing this is. What a glorious thing. They're they're honoring God here. I love it. Verses 8 and 9, the Lord gives Joshua some commands. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear them. He's talking about the five kings. For I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. What a command. Can you imagine being a leader of an army and having the Lord say to you, I have given them unto your hand. Wow. That doesn't give you confidence. I don't know what what will. But see, Christian, Christian, the Lord has given us our enemies to us. He's given them unto our hands. He's defeated them already. We are overcomers in Christ. He has overcome and we are in him. So we therefore are overcomers. Christ has done the same thing. Our enemies have been defeated. There were five kings coming against Joshua. They probably outnumbered the Israelites. But he said, don't fear these enemies. I've taken care of them. Oh, how we can cripple our ability to fight God's battles by fear. Fear is the opposite of faith. Fear. That's why Jesus always said, do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed, Joshua. Don't let fear overcome you. Oh my gosh, the fear that we get. It overwhelms us and it paralyzes us. It keeps us from praying. It keeps us from seeking the Lord because we are so fearful. When it should do just the opposite, it should drive us to our knees knowing that God is victorious. It should drive us right to our knees knowing that God has won the battle and now he's going to allow you to participate just like he's allowing Joshua to participate in this war. As we read through, you'll see that the Lord did this, and the Lord did that, and the Lord led them. It doesn't say much about Joshua leading them, but he lets us participate in this battle. The command is coupled with a promise. The command to go is coupled with a promise, and we can obey God's command, not to fear, because we have his promise of victory. We have God's promises. Oh my, if we would just live on the promises of God. How many of you used to sing the old song, standing on the promises of Christ? I mean, come on, that's what we need to do. We stand on his promises. We, we stand on those promises because they're real, they're truthful, and we have them for us. We have God's promises. We must therefore see fear for what it is. Fear becomes unbelief. Fear becomes unbelief. It's an unwillingness to believe God for the promise that he's given us. Fear becomes unbelief. It's unwillingness. It's unwillingness. I'm so fearful, God, I can't believe you're, you're going to do this. When he said he would. The victorious overcomes fear with faith. The victorious Christian overcomes fear with faith. I believe in the promises of God. And I'm standing on those promises, although everything around me is falling down. Everything around me is crashing around. Greece is Financial trouble. Spain and Portugal are going to be soon to follow. The United States probably is like this. We just don't even know it. 
Things are falling around left and right. But you know what? I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King. I'm standing on His promises and I will not fear. What can man do to me? I will not fear. This is where Joshua is. We're standing on those promises, standing strong. And as we, the church, link arms together to fight the enemy, to stand in faith against fear, we stand that way and we pray the prayer of faith, things happen. Things happen. The Lord does mighty things because he sees people praying and believing and knowing with confidence that God is going to do something. And that's what's happening. That's a victorious life. Joshua came upon them suddenly. He had the assurance of God's promise. He didn't sit back and passively say, okay, God, show me. Joshua wasn't from Missouri. Anybody get that? Okay, good. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't know where that came from. That was just... uh, Joshua didn't sit back, but he worked with God. God needed his participation. God needs our participation in this thing. Yes, he has accomplished that. But what is our participation? What do we do? We believe, we pray, and we move in faith. We believe, we pray, and we move in faith. That's ours to do. I mean, they marched all night from Gilgal. Many believe that the march to Gibeon involved a 3,300-foot climb. All these people wore march to Gilgal. It was about 20 miles. It must have taken anywhere from 8 to 10 hours for them to do that. See, God does the work. We give glory and honor to God, but he draws us in. That's what a wonderful God is. He doesn't need us. He could wipe out the entire world if he chooses to. But for some crazy reason, he chooses to use us. He chooses to allow us to be a part of what he's doing. I think it's so cool. Sometimes he waits to see our initiative. Sometimes he waits to see, are you going to step out in faith now? Are you really going to step out in faith? See, our willingness to be his partner, our willingness to do that shows him that we have the faith, that we believe the promises. Because, you know, believe is an action word. Believe is an action word. When you step out on a promise of God and you believe, that's an action word. God's waiting to see that. We talked about steering the ship. Be docked in the dock all you want. You start moving the rudder. The ship's not going to go anywhere. But when it starts to move and you start changing that rudder, the ship moves. God wants to move us, steer us as we move. He wants us to do it. It's not the idea of God helps those who help themselves. The idea is God wants to draw people into a partnership when we see him working. God wants to draw us in. For some reason, he loves us. In verses 10 through 15, we see the results of the battle as God miraculously fights for Israel. Verse 10, So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the roads that to Beth Horam, and struck them down as far as Aska and Madakah. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horam, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Aska, and they died. There were more who died in the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with a sword. We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you, but sadly, that's all the time we have for today. Be sure to tune in again, though, to Pastor Dave's continuing verse-by-verse study of the book of Joshua here on Cape Watch Radio. In the meantime, we'd like to invite you to learn more about Cape Watch Radio by visiting our website, capewatchradio.com. There you'll find an array of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, 
available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. In this busy world, setting time aside to study the Bible in depth is difficult, so we'd like to make that just a bit easier. By subscribing to our podcast, you'll have sound, biblical teachings sent right to your smartphone or computer. What a great way to infuse your day with God's Word. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you join us for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and continue to walk through the Bible on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you have small children, please feel free to give us a call to find out which service will fit your family best. Our number is 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Joshua. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this fascinating book right here on Cape Watch Radio.